episode 15 of the Truth Quest podcast, where we will tackle the truth about prayer. For those of you who have listened to other episodes, you know that every fifth episode I dedicate to a Christian apologetic issue. While prayer is not exactly an apologetic topic, it's one that has interested me for many years, and since this is my podcast, I decided to slot it in here at episode 15. So please help me out by sharing the show with your friends and family. If you have a discussion about Fortnite, socialized medicine, the truth in general, Obamacare, or prayer, please send your discussion partner the link to the specific episode. Better yet, tell them about the podcast in general. I'm sure I will cover a topic at some point that will pique their interest. Speaking of helping me reach others, I would be honored if you would give the podcast a five-star rating at iTunes. They don't make it that easy, but if you're interested, here's how you do it. Click on the podcast icon, hit search, type in TruthQuest Podcast, click the logo, scroll down, and hit five-star. Also, please consider supporting the show financially. All donations will be used to expand the reach of the show. See the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for the link. And of course, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. The easiest way to stay up to date is to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or you can access it at Podbean. Okay, let's talk about prayer. For this episode, I relied heavily on two sources, Tim Keller's book, aptly named Prayer, and Oswald Chambers' classic daily devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. I will reference them often. Both books are in the show notes page. So have you ever gone to an online Bible app and searched on a particular word and then read through all the verses? It's really an illuminating exercise. The first time I did it, I was writing my book, The Proverbs Project. I wanted to get a better sense of what fear of the Lord meant. You may recall me talking about this in episode 10, The Truth About God and Evil. Every time I do it, I walk away better informed and enlightened. As you can imagine for this episode, I looked up the word prayer. You were probably not surprised to know that there are almost 400 references to it in the Bible. We will tackle a handful of them in this episode. When I was a child, my bedtime prayer was a copy-paste-repeat variety. I thanked God for my blessings, asked for forgiveness, and then asked Him to watch over my family, as I mentioned everybody by name, and on occasion I might ask for something from Him. It was repetitive, uh, it was transactional, it was not conversational, it was not relational. Over the years I searched for a prescription for prayer, but that seemed contrived and forced until one day I came to understand that God does not want us to robotically pray to Him. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to walk with us in our daily life. He wants us to instinctively talk to Him throughout the day, in good times and bad. Oswald Chambers said, Get into the habit of dealing with God about everything, and let God in from the first waking moment of each new day. That's great advice. The next step in my prayer evolution was to pray for others. I try to pray for at least three strangers a day. It could be a homeless person, someone in the grocery store, the guy who ran the four-way stop sign on my way to work this morning, or someone at the office. Anytime I hear an ambulance or a fire truck siren, I try to take a moment and pray for whoever they are going to help. This forced outward focus does the heart good. The fancy name for this type of prayer is intercessory prayer. You look for opportunities to pray for others, to intercede on their behalf. And you really do not have to work that hard because you've got the Holy Spirit on your side. Your job is to lift these individuals up in prayer 
and let the Holy Spirit intercede on their behalf. Chambers describes intercessory prayer as putting yourself in God's place. It is having his mind and his perspective, not yours. He defines intercession as a means of raising up to the point of getting the mind of Christ regarding the person for whom you are praying. He said God gives us discernment in the lives of others to call us to intercession for them, never that we may find fault with them. Finally, like many families, we have a whiteboard at home that serves as a prayer board. It contains the names of people in our lives who are sick, dealing with the death of a loved one, or just going through a tough time. So that's a little bit about my prayer journey. I'm sure it's similar to many of you, but for some of you, prayer is still a topic that you struggle with. Let's be honest, everyone, regardless of religious belief or affiliation, prays at some point in their life. It may be an awkward prayer, as is often depicted on television, you know, the, hey God, if you're up there, I could really use some help here. Or it could be a heartfelt, angry, begrudging prayer. The point is there is something embedded in our human nature, something instinctual about speaking to God or whatever higher power you personally envision. Prayer tends to be, as Tim Keller says, a means to procure things, not to know him better. That's the idea of a transactional prayer I mentioned earlier. Pastor Andy Stanley has talked about a backpack God. You know, he lives in your life's backpack, only to be forgotten or ignored most of the time, but we pull him out whenever we get into trouble. The genie in the bottle, so to speak. But that's not what God has in mind, though. We are not trying to get things from God. It's about coming into fellowship with him. In his book, Keller explains that prayer is both a conversation and an encounter. The conversation actually leads to the encounter. Chambers said the point of prayer is not to get answers from God, but to have perfect and complete oneness with him. He continued, if we pray only because we want answers, we will become irritated and angry with God. We receive an answer every time we pray, but it's not always come in the way we expect. He also wrote that the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. After all, isn't that what happens when you have a conversation with someone? Keller suggests that prayer be done regularly, persistently, resolutely, and tenaciously, at least daily, whether you feel like it or not. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says we should continually pray. That's the pray without ceasing verse. Along these lines, I've seen prayer compared to being a laborer. There is nothing thrilling about being a laborer. You just keep plugging away regardless of conditions. The suggestion is that we should approach prayer the same way. Keep plugging away. Never stop. I've also seen prayer compared to breathing or your heartbeat. It needs to be that effortless, that consistent, that prevalent in your life. When you study prayer, the idea of being childlike often comes up. You know how some children are. They will talk and talk and talk, even if no one is around. They talk to themselves in the mirror or they talk to the wall. But it's just their uninhibited, innocent nature that drives their constant conversation. That is what God wants from us. Not to pray only when we need something from Him, or when something goes wrong. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20 is the armor of God stand against evil verse. You may remember the list contained in these verses. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. But it ends with, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests.
Keller complements this verse by arguing that we should ask God for things with boldness and specificity, with ardor, honesty, and diligence, yet with patient submission to God's will and wise love. Chambers encourages us to be yourself before God and present Him with your problems. Prayer may not change things. You may not get what you're praying for, but prayer can change you. That should excite you. Even though we can be bold in our prayers, praise and adoration are a key component too. It is true worship. When things go well in your life, show gratitude to God. That outward focus is healthy and is perpetuated by prayer. Consider the Lord's Prayer. There is no petition for something from God, give us this day our daily bread, until we spend time declaring the greatness of God. We're going to tackle the Lord's Prayer in more detail here shortly. Keller spends some time in his book giving us insight into prayer from three giants of Christianity, St. Augustine, Martin Luther, and John Calvin. St. Augustine once wrote a letter to a woman who had a question about prayer. He cited Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, as an example of how to pray. This is the give me neither poverty nor riches verse. So instead of entering into a prayer asking for wealth, you may ask for as much wealth as you can handle without keeping your priorities straight, i.e. putting God first. Martin Luther's recipe for prayer was to make it a habit in the morning and in the evening. And you pray regardless of circumstances, how you feel or what is going on in your life. Remember the laborer analogy? Luther's prescription also includes a recitation of some scripture. More on this later. John Calvin's take on prayer included a crucial understanding that we should carry with us a sense of awe in prayer with God. Realize what extent God went through to forgive us our sins. He had to come in the form of a man to absorb the punishment of our sins. Failing to recognize the high cost of sin makes our prayer shallow and trivial. Think about it. We are talking directly to the creator of the universe. Let's not take that for granted. That should be front and center of our thinking during prayer. More on Calvin later. As I mentioned, I want to spend some time talking about the Lord's Prayer. If you are a Christian, you have likely recited it hundreds of times. But have you ever digested its meaning? Jesus gave us it as a model prayer. And because of that, we should probably pay really, really close attention to it. Let's walk through it line by line and see what lessons Jesus left for us. It starts out with, Our Father who art in heaven. We learn from the first few verses not to just dive into prayer, but as Keller says, first recollect our situation and realize our standing in Christ before we proceed in prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Here we are recognizing his holiness. Calvin argued that it helps us go to God with a grateful, joyous heart. Thy kingdom come. As we discuss in episode 10, the truth about God and evil, our life on earth is not designed to be heaven on earth. According to Luther, this part of the Lord's Prayer recognizes that fact. We yearn for the future where there is justice, peace, and no pain. The next line in the prayer is, Thy will be done. Now I'm going to spend some time here because this concept trips up a lot of Christians. How do you pray for God's will to be done when it's your will that you want done? You have a sick family member. It's your will that you want done. You want healing. But Christians are taught to pray for God's will. But his will might not be mine. How do you supposed to pray then? Dear God, Grandma is really sick. I really, really want her to feel better and get back to her normal self. But whatever. You do whatever you think is best for her. 
Good luck, Nana. That's not how we're supposed to pray, right? But how are you supposed to approach his will? Luther offered these words, Grant us grace to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering, and adversity, and to recognize that in this your divine will is crucifying our will. John Calvin also addressed this issue. He essentially said, ask what you want, but understand that God knows best. There's nothing wrong with asking. You may ask, if it's God's will that is going to play out, what's the point of praying anyways? Calvin answers that question by pointing out that God often withholds blessings until you have prayed for them. Keller says you should pray for things that are in agreement with God's will, or you can ask God for things that fulfill both our desires and his will. There's a certain level of peace that comes with your ability to really say and mean, not my will, but your will. You are, in essence, able to cast your burdens and anxieties on God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Keller says this, We must pray not only with shameless assertiveness, but at the same time with a restful submissiveness, a confidence that God is wiser than we are and wants the best for us. So it's okay to be assertive and bold in your prayers, but at the end of the day, we must be submissive. So do you pray for good stuff or just the ability to endure the bad stuff? Consider Jesus' prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane as an example. Let this cup pass from me, followed by, not my will, but thine be done. I don't know about you, but my thoughts are, of course Jesus prayed that way. He was perfect. What about the rest of mankind? That's a tough pill to swallow for the rest of us. Back to the prayer about Grandma. You, of course, pray for her healing, but at the same time understand that God is in control of the situation. I envision it kind of something like a so-noted conversation. God notes your prayer, but he may have other plans. While we are on the topic of thy will be done, I want to quickly address the ask and you will receive verses. In Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. In Luke chapter 11, verse 10, he says, For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. These are often misinterpreted verses as some will claim that as long as you have enough faith, then you can be confident that God will do whatever you ask. You can and should be bold in your prayers, but understand that it all gets back to the idea that we are submissive to God's will. Chambers says, This does not mean that you will not get it if you do not ask, but it means that until you come to the point of asking, you will not receive from God. To be able to receive means that you have to come into a relationship of a child of God, and then you comprehend and appreciate mentally, morally, and with spiritual understanding that these things come from God. In James chapter 4, verse 3, it says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So the question becomes, are you asking out of your own desire for self-fulfillment, or are you asking for things with God's will in mind? Back to the rest of the Lord's Prayer. So you will note the first half of the prayer is all about God. The focus is not on us, it's on Him. Adoration and thanksgiving comes first to help us from becoming self-centered. Now we can turn to our needs of prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice this only mentions our necessities. No mention of luxuries. 
Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Not only should we always seek God's forgiveness, but we must forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. Augustine points out that the important part about this phrase is what it does not say. Quote, the prayer is not that we should not be tempted, but that we should not be brought or led into temptation. In other words, don't give in to sin, but understand that life is full of temptations. Deliver us from evil. Whereas we can control our response to temptation, Augustine argues that this petition is for protection from evil outside of us, from the malignant forces in the world. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Keller describes this line of prayer like this. After descending into our needs, troubles, and limitations, we return to the truth of God's complete sufficiency. So the rhythm of the model prayer given to us by Jesus is first, acknowledge that God is great, powerful, and holy. Then recognize that our future lies with him, followed by an understanding that we are submissive to him, a recognition that he drives the ship of our life and that it is ultimately his will that will be done. Then and only then do we ask him to look after us with the essentials of life without forgetting the obligation to forgive others because we are forgiven followed by a request for protection from temptation and sin. Finally, we circle back to glorifying him again. To close, I want to discuss a few loose ends that came up during my research for this episode. Praying in Jesus' name, meditation, and the Holy Spirit. If you're like me, you might have wondered what's up with the phrase, in Jesus' name we pray, or we ask this in Jesus' name. Is it some kind of magic formula or secret prayer code? The answer, of course, is no. What does it mean? It is mentioned in John chapter 14 verses 13 through 14 and in John chapter 16 verses 26 to 27. There may be others, but these verses will suffice for explanation purposes. Here's how Tim Keller explains this concept. To pray in Jesus' name means to come to God in prayer consciously, trusting in Christ for our salvation and acceptance and not relying on our own credibility or record. It also means to recognize your status as a child of God, regardless of your inner state. God our Father is committed to his children's good, as any good father would be. Okay, that's a somewhat satisfying explanation, but doesn't quite get me over the finish line. Others have explained it with a little more clarity. It's not the words of the prayer, but the purpose behind the prayer. Because Jesus' sacrifice and because of our relationship with him, we can in his name, approach God in prayer. Because of our relationship with Christ, who sits at God's right hand as our advocate, we can come to God in prayer and be heard. It's not a magic phrase, but a frame of mind and a recognition. So if prayer is meant to be a conversation with God, how do we get a reply? Many, including J.I. Packer, suggest that meditating on the scriptures is the way to hear from God. Keller suggests that when meditating on scripture, you should ask two questions. What did the original author intend to convey to his readers? And what role does this text play in the whole Bible? You can also meditate by what some describe as digesting the scripture or applying it to your life specifically, how it affects and guides you. Another similar method is to paraphrase a passage. Read it, close the Bible, and then restate what you read in your own words. Then review it against the passage and read a commentary that goes along with the verse. Martin Luther's prayer prescription includes a recitation of some scripture. He 
He suggests the Lord's Prayer of the Ten Commandments as part of your prayer, as a form of meditation or contemplation. The idea being to reflect on your chosen scripture and personalize it to your life. Then just pray from the heart. It's all about centering yourself before possibly launching into it's an all about me prayer. Meditation seems to preempt our selfish tendencies and allows God to speak to us through his word. Finally, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. It came up briefly in our discussion about intercessory prayer. In that regard, it's almost like a handoff. We notice someone in the group of people and we begin to pray for them and we hand it off to the Holy Spirit to intercede. The Bible also says that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 in part says, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Matthew chapter 6 verse 8 says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In this regard, I think it is like a guardian angel that looks out for us. The Holy Spirit knows what you need and intercedes on your behalf. It's comforting to know this, but it also has the potential to allow us to be lazy in our prayer life. After all, if the Holy Spirit has my back, why do I need to bother? That's the wrong answer. Because as we have seen, prayer requires your active participation. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please let me know what you think, or give me suggestions for future episodes on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.